0: Welcome back to The Build Podcast. I'm Blake Bartlett, a partner here at OpenView. We're here to figure out how to master product and growth in the ever-changing world of SaaS. Today, we hear from Todd Olson, co-founder and CEO of Pendo. You may remember Todd from his episode on Build with my partner Mackie Craven last year. If you haven't heard it, go and check it out for a primer on Pendo and Todd's thinking about all things product. Now, Todd has been a bit busy in the last year, including publishing a book that's called The Product-Led Organization. So I wanted to have him back on the podcast to hear what this awesome book is all about. In today's episode, we discuss why becoming product-led is paramount to any business today, not just software businesses. The value of addition through subtraction when it comes to product management. And how to embrace cross-functional teams without endlessly chasing consensus all that and more on this episode of Build. So let's dive in with Todd Olson. Well, Todd, thanks for joining us here again on the Build podcast. Uh, you, you were on last year with Mackie, and it's, it's great to have you again on uh, this season. Well, thank you, Blake. It's great to be here. Now, uh, you just wrote a book, and it's called The Product-Led Organization. So what's it all about? The book is really about taking a
1: lot of the stories and experiences that I've had over the past few years collaborating with customers, and trying to package it together with a, as a useful guide for companies that want to become more product-led. And you know what that really means is, how do we find ways to leverage the product to offload a lot of the, the tasks and the business processes that humans are
0: doing right now manually? And so you talk about uh, the tagline or the the subtitle of the book is that it's putting product at the center of your customer experience. So unpack that for us a little bit. I guess compared to what, and do you have a, a good example of what that might look like in practice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, well, for for a lot of companies, primarily, you know, they they didn't put. Products at the center of the, the customer experience. They put humans at the center of the customer experience, and you look—you can look at even a lot of like white glove experiences that we have today. And what you know, people will be proud of. Wow, I got to talk to a real human, or I had a uh, account manager or a personalized concierge, which is helping with that. So those are definitely not product-led experiences. That is like this human being is amazing. They're creating like a soup to nuts, start to finish, amazing experience. So that's that's kind of the alternative. Whereas product-led experiences are one where you're you're 100 interacting with a digital interface. And a more consumer example that I think will hit home is I think Tesla does a really interesting job here. You know, from the point in which you order one to getting one, there's actually very limited interaction with human beings, and it's actually a pretty good good experience. You know, and and that's by design, but it's very digital. It's very efficient. You. You can interact with it any time of the day that you want. You could do it in the evenings or in the mornings. And that's part of what makes products so powerful is that in our daily lives, it allows us to interact when it's convenient for us. It's on demand, it's at our fingertips. And I think that's what modern product-led experiences look like
0: it's it's a great example and i think the the tesla example is all the more poignant because when you think about how painful it is to buy a car and how terrible and human based that conversation is and let me run it upstairs and see what kind of reaction against that that whole thing if you can make that better and if you can make that more product led you can make anything product led right
1: yeah 100% and it's also a good example because it's so i don't know if i caught white glove but it's definitely a n- good experience. Like it's it's a nice experience, yet it's also product led. So it proves that you can you can take a high-end experience and make it product led.
0: Well, the the other thing that that occurs to me as you mentioned that is the idea that, you know, it's always on, it's always open, it's always available. you know, I think that there's lots of benefits to product led and to having A product that people can interact with on a self-service basis whenever they want to, whatever way they want to, there's always been benefit to that. But all the more so in 2020, because of COVID and the disruptions. You know, if you had a a sales-driven process that was more enterprise sales that required people to get on planes and be at trade shows and be in offices, you know, obviously that's been very disrupted. And and even if you have a sort of phone-based sales culture, you know, it still is disrupted by work from home and all of the challenges that, you know, that might have presented themselves in 2020. But if you think about putting product at the center and product first, you know, it doesn't matter what the disruptions are. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world, you know, customers and prospects can come to the funnel and can have the same exact experience regardless of what's going on sort of outside in the world. So there's, there's a lot of different benefits here.
1: Yeah. Look, a hundred percent. I mean, I wrote the book fully transparent before COVID. But the principles are even amplified in this, uh, this COVID world that we live in, you know. And yeah, hundred percent. The companies that had product led experiences didn't have to do a lot when we all transitioned to work from home, um, and globally. So I think I think that's really important point. And then you know that's the of course the acquisition side. But even in the self service side, companies that had self service set up, companies that it was easier to act with digitally are able to support customers better as well in this time. And that, you know, a big part of this that I talk about is, is going beyond just product led growth to thinking about things like retention, you know, the, you know, the entire customer life cycle. It's not, again, not just acquiring customers,
0: but it's retaining them and growing them. So what does that look like? So I think people can understand what it looks like to automate or productize the front part of a funnel, right? To make it much more self-serve than than sort of sales-led as a requirement. But as you get into other aspects of the customer journey, like retention, for example, how do you automate that? How do you productize that?
1: Look, I think that the first stage right after the conversion event, after the sales humans or sales product-led sales or growth ends is onboarding. Okay, now we have this new customer how do we get them into the product, and how do we get things set up properly? And sure, you you may have a trial experience, and trial may even part of your product led growth motion. But usually, usually I see a bit of a separation even post trial, where you want to get things like organized more. And this is this is probably more common in a B two B setup. But onboarding is a significant process that's usually owned by customer success. And a lot of that initial setup is just about getting the the subscription or the system, you know, set up for success, set up to, you know, use the product in the best way and and make sure the customer's uh, on a path to get value. Now, the other aspect of onboarding that I think is just as important is, okay, let's say six months from now, this is already a customer and, you know, they hired two more people, which just got provisioned seats on this software package. What experience are they getting? You know, uh, and some organizations, even that are product-led, they'll get passed off to a human for onboarding, but these new users come in all the time and they often get nothing. They get dropped into a subscription with a bunch of stuff that's unfamiliar with them and they're left to fend for themselves to figure out what's next. And, oh, by the way, that person is brand new, may own the renewal in a handful of months. Like, you know, we see obviously lots of change in corporations and these are the kinds of business processes that you need to think about. How do I do a completely product-led version of that? So that's one piece of it. Now I carry on to even the renewal event, the most advanced companies that I I talk with, they're trying to make sure that they're proving to the customer in product that the customer received the value that was anticipated. And that's a really powerful idea because at the end of the day, when, when you're getting this bill, Like in many cases, you want to know, like, especially if it's an expensive bill, like, wow, am I really getting this much value? Like, yeah, I know I use it. Yeah, I know it does this, but like, am I getting that much? You know, and of course, when you're looking at ROI, you're thinking, like, well, they got a couple times that at least. So, am I getting more out of it than I'm putting in? Like, you don't want just dollar for dollar. And the best products give customers really good visibility into how they've used it and how that that use
0: translates into value received for them, which makes the renewal, you know, hopefully non-event. So in practice, does that look like bringing things like uh, an ROI calculator or something, you know, that a human would normally show in a QBR, or say if that human is a a CSM or something like that, does it look like bringing that into sort of a a dashboard experience in the product or does that get instantiated uh, in a different way?
1: No, I, I think exactly. Look, I mean, I mean, I know that, the term ROI calculator may be panned by a lot of people. So maybe I would maybe phrase it a little differently is like, you know, value. Yeah, but basically it's the same thing. It's, it's yeah, you, you wanna be able to say, look, I mean, you save this much money by using our platform. And look, I, like procurement software is really, really good at this and has been for years um, because they're at the core of, you know, obviously all purchasing for an organization at least modern procurement systems are. But yeah, I think all systems need to be thinking in terms of how do they measure and to articulate value back. And yeah, it shouldn't be just, I have to go to some QBR presentation, look at a PowerPoint to do it. I think what's really cool is when you get like a ticker in your product where you're seeing every single day, wow, I'm saving this much money. This feels really, really, really good. Makes it easy.
0: Yeah, there's almost an element of how can you bring in, you know, things that that you experience in consumer products. You know, what drives addiction in consumer products? A lot of times, it's you know, you you see the notifications, you see that you got retweeted, you see that you have new followers, you see that you have likes, and it compels you to come back. But in a consumer sense, that's kind of the evidence of ROI. The thing is working. I'm, I'm getting the attention on social media or whatever it is that that I that I hoped for, that I wanted for, and being able to understand some of those human psychology aspects and bring that into enterprise products as w- whether it's a formal ROI calculator here's how much money you've made or here's how much money you've saved or you know if it's perhaps more of a different non-monetary uh, north star metric or aha moment that somebody might have then pointing to that as well and that social proof for those things that might drive a healthy kind of addiction or sort of reliance on your product
1: oh 100% yeah look I'm an avid peloton user and you know it gives me really active feedback and i'm looking every single day that i ride you know how many kilojoules on my output and i know that translates into better health for me and i can measure it day on day out and you know then that combined with you know my apple watch and telling me how i'm doing on my you know uh september challenge which i'm By the way, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Um, You know, it feels good. And we can apply the exact same things to to B2B software. You know, uh, I was talking to one of our uh, sales reps. He was like bragging to me that he used one of the pieces of our sales stack more than anyone else in the company. And was bragging about how that translated into sales. Like, hey, I'm hitting my number, crushing my number because I use this thing, unlike anyone else uses this thing. And and he was trying to convince me I need to, you know, push other people to use it like he does. And I just but I love that, I love that mindset. It's like, hey, we use this thing. We we bought it because we want to get this value out of it. I am getting this value out of it. We need to make sure everyone's getting this value out of it. That that's that's pretty awesome to me. Now, the software package hasn't taken that person's ideas and put it in their products. So then me as the as the ultimate executive owner of this software, I can't just log into it and say, "Wow, yeah, this person is using it. And they're making a ton of money. Like what's the company getting for overall usage
0: of this thing? Like that's still pretty early days for a lot of packages, but I think that's where we have to go. And now shifting gears a bit to talk about the organization, right? The book is called The Product-Led Organization, and it brings a lot of the, uh, the human aspects and the organizational aspects and the management and leadership aspects into the conversation um, and how those things evolve as somebody moves toward, towards product-led. And so one thing that it naturally affects is product management and how you think about your product organization. And I know one thing that you mentioned to me is the idea of addition through subtraction as being important in the product-led organization. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, look, I think everyone um, uh, points to how many features do we ship? You know, and that, that often is the measure of a product organization. You walk into a board meeting and you, you sit through and you're, you're hearing about all the Amazing innovation we delivered, and these are all the features we shipped. And people count story points delivered, and a lot of talk about addition. They like, often do. You walk into a board meeting, is like, "Hey, we removed this thing that was basically an anchor on our entire product that not only confused the hell out of our users, but was also painful to maintain, and now we can go faster." Like people rarely celebrate those things, and I think that there's a lot of power when a team is looking to add something, asking the team. Can we remove something in lieu of this? And literally, I was just talking to one of my product teams the other week, and, and they said, hey, we're adding this thing. And I was saying, great. This seems a lot like this other thing in our product. Um, how do they uh, relate? What? And they're like, well, this thing may be better. Well, can we remove that thing? I'm like, well, I'm not sure. Like, Well, I'm going to challenge you to try to answer that question with data like in the next week. Because that's what we really need. Like, I want to try to, I want to bias towards removing than just constantly adding. Because like, look, at the end of the day, the reason enterprise software gets a bad rap in terms of usability is that the answer almost always is yes. And the answer is almost always yes, because in human-led sales cycles, these feature matrices are very, very important to win deals. So like sometimes people inflate features and products to, have more checkboxes on these arbitrary matrices to win deals. And you know who loses? Users lose. (laughs) We all lose from those checkbox battles. And I think we need to, as an industry, start rejecting that antiquated mindset to purchasing and, and think a lot more about what jobs to be done you're trying to solve in products, how seamless and easy and efficient it is to use products, and how it's not the product with the most number of features, the product that deliver on the value
0: prop better. That's winning. And um, so yeah, that's what I mean by that. No, it's, it's an interesting example and it certainly resonates with me. I, I have not ever walked into a board meeting or, or sort of observed in all hands where people are high-fiving over stuff that they deleted. But if those things that you've deleted or removed are causing friction or an unnecessary hurdle that you're having people have to get through before they could get onto the the better stuff that you just shipped, then you should celebrate it. It should be a high five moment because it's better for less things to maintain and sort of less friction for, for the user. And so I think that shift towards uh, what can we remove and how do we think about subtraction, not just shipping more and shipping faster, uh, is a super important discipline. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, going deeper into org design, um, how do you staff the organization? How is that different? How do you think about internal process? And maybe as one specific starting point within that, I've heard from a number of people that as they've gone towards product-led, uh, it has led to more hybrid teams or cross-functional teams. I'm wondering if that's a common trend across product-led organizations, or or maybe more isolated to people I've spoken with. No, I, th- I think it is a trend,
1: and I, I think it's a really interesting one. I, you know, product-led growth, you know, it's often a uh, cross-functional team between marketers, product persons, engineers, you know, tech writers. Maybe you're getting a documentation in words you know, really, really streamline the process, but it's people like hyper focused on a problem and hyper focused on like metrics and numbers. So, and it's great. Like it's, imagine taking a team and giving them a North star metric uh, around maybe conversion and then setting them off just to innovate and experiment and create and adapt. And, and you know, they have a mandate. And I think that's awesome. I think that's really, really awesome. And I think, you know, look, I, I started, or my first answer to questions question so on onboarding. Imagine a team comprised of professional services, customer success, products, um, engineers that like maniacally focus on amazing onboarding. And they look at the entire problem and every aspect of it. And, you know, they are, you know, north star metrics around like, time to meaningful use or time to first use of a given feature in a product or time to aha moments or something like that. So I think those are the things that, I think when done right, these cross-functional teams become incredibly powerful. Like, look, I am there. People that know me well know, like, I'm not a huge org chart person. Um, I, I do admit, at certain scale, there are pretty beneficial. So I've I've caved, <laughs> but but I just generally don't like the things. Like, I, I I don't like like rigidity. Um, I'm more of a fluidity type person, and I uh, think these cross functional teams, cross cutting things, like like um, I don't know, it really resonates with me
0: too. Now, to to bring in a really extreme example of this, this is an example you mentioned to me, and it's Canva, and I believe Canva has this idea of a holocracy. As they call it. So, so what's that about, and and what is a, an extreme instantiation uh, of this model look like uh, in a company example like that?
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I had the opportunity to spend some time with with Melanie, the founder of Canva, and like she's got an amazing organization. I don't know if she quite call it holocracy, but I think it it sounds a lot like bureaucracy to me, and what how I understand it. But basically, cross functional teams. That are all organized around certain business challenges or problems. They own a certain area of the business, and that business is cross-cutting. It could be product things. They could be marketing-oriented things. They could be, they could be going into a new market, making even a new geography. And these teams then um, they, they have this process then where they align them. You know, where they get get together on a quarterly basis, and each team kind of reads out on their priorities um they look for dependencies across teams but it's a, it's a way that they run super fast and they are hyper focused cuz each team has this mandate like go do this go do that and then this aligning meeting is a way that they can make sure across the teams you know they're Obviously, manage overlap again our dependencies. You know, obviously, we don't want people stepping on each other's toes, but it's just a really, really compelling, really interesting idea. I mean, very inspirational. And I mean, obviously, we all have seen the success that's yielded there. So, like, they, I mean, they're it's an amazing company and and doing things in a very unique, different way.
0: And if you are changing the orientation uh, or the organizational point of a team. From function or department, so no longer it's the marketing team and the sales team and the product team, but instead um, multiple teams are cross-functional. What are they organized around? Is it around initiatives or aspects of the product or?
1: Yeah, I think they're.
0: I think look, I think I think you need to organize them
1: around business process is really the, the, the key thing I think about. What are the core business processes that we have to execute? So there's obviously some sort of acquisition set of processes. There's obviously a conversion process. There's this onboarding process. There's a retention process. How do we have teams like hyper-focused on various aspects of those processes? Yes, we align them towards overall, overarching goals, but how do we set them up for success? And I think you got to. Try to push decision-making down. Give them a goal, give them a mandate, and then get out of their way. And I think that's how you, um, you, you know, it should be easy to scale. But, it, you know, as you, as you get bigger and bigger, there's more and more business processes that need to be thought of and, and accommodated for. But it's a really powerful way to to think about structuring a business. Now, look, Pendo's not exactly there. We still are fairly functional. But in certain aspects, we do, we do have – um, these cross-cutting initiatives and cross-functional teams, which which run that way. They have red, yellow, green, super green criteria. They are measured on a weekly basis, on a quarterly basis, and they're comprised of individuals across the company focusing on given challenges, given problems, given new opportunities, and, you know, their goal is to to make an impact in this area above and beyond just the normal day-to-day cadence of the business.
0: Now, I think... People understand the potential benefit of hybrid teams or cross-functional teams. You know, you have more diverse perspectives from different you know, stakeholder areas of the business. You're going to come up with uh, better solutions. But there's also a challenge, which is that if you have so many different perspectives and as cross-functional teams get larger or as you get more of them, you know, alignment becomes a challenge. You mentioned that Canva has a, a system around getting aligned. But if I think about that alignment, or if I think about making decisions, you know, consensus building can be extremely challenging if you're trying to get everybody with a different perspective on the same page before you move forward. So how do you manage that balance of the benefits of, of cross-functional, but also perhaps some of the, the way in which it might slow you down uh, because it's so different?
1: Yeah, look, I think you need to be cognizant of the size of each cross-functional team. So if you have people owning different areas, I think within that team they should be able to, to drive consensus. But I don't think you seek consensus across the teams. You can't have every team weighing on what each other team's doing. I think you need high-level consensus in, the, in each team's goals and mandates. Um, but that's it. You know, then within the team they should be able to drive consensus. But each team should be you know like the classic pizza box team. You know, anything more than or is it two pizza team? I think it's two pizzas, right? So uh, anything more than two pizzas is too big of a team. So I, you don't want massive teams here. Because right? that, that becomes impossible to drive consensus. I agree.
0: So bringing it to a closing section with two final questions that would be oriented towards founders who want to start on this journey. So the first one is, if they are going to embrace becoming a product-led organization for the very first time, there's so many different things that you would want to pay attention to and ultimately touch and address but oh, where do you begin? What's first? I think,
1: and look, the, the way the book structured, the first section of the book is around data. But it's, it's measuring everything. I mean, the, the, one of the, the clear attributes of product-led organization is data and metrics. Otherwise, there's no way to refine these things if you don't have some sort of baseline. So measure everything. You know, measure every aspect of your product experience. Start setting some goals. Understand, again, your baselines and where you want to get to. But I think... Making sure you make this leap from a gut or instinct driven
0: organization to a data-driven business, um, that's step one in my mind. And now finally, you guys just had Pandemonium, which is your annual conference. What were you most excited to announce or discuss at the event?
1: Um Boy, you're making me pick like a favorite. So, um, look, I, I think we had two big announcements. So I go, like, look, so interestingly, you know, uh, one of the big announcements that we announced a free version of Pendo. So it is part of our product-led initiatives inside the company. It's been um, – Uh, initially been working on since the beginning of our fiscal year. So I'm really excited to see it come to this announcement. And we already have a lot of interest in it. We've got good early stats from the individuals that have uh, started uh, using it. And I think it's going to be exciting for the community. I mean, our goal is to um, get this out there in many small companies, small teams' hands to start getting them to become more data driven and, and, um, and grow from there. So, so I think it's a, it's a taste of Pendo um, and a taste of being product led. And and that was probably for me that the, my favorite announcement.
0: Well, it's, it's an awesome example. And I love talking to you about these things because your product Pendo enables people to embrace product led growth and becoming a product led organization. So you're on the front lines of, of making this happen in reality and you're also clearly, as we've been talking about today, and you wrote a book. You're you're a thought leader about um, the evolution and moving towards a product led organization. But then you run a company. You're not an armchair expert, and so you're actually on the journey of making your company increasingly product led more and more each day. And so to hear that sort of uh, example of Pendo free and sort of embracing product led growth in your own customer journey is awesome. And I think it allows founders to to sort of learn by observation as well as from from reading and and seeing your awesome book and materials.
1: Appreciate that. Yeah, look, I I ultimately am a builder. (laughs) That's what I like doing. So in in many ways, we're all just experimenting and learning. And I don't uh, by any means have all the answers. Just, you know, I I think there's a lot of good ideas in the book, but I'm still learning myself. And that's part of the exciting piece of this is to me, this is the start of a conversation, not the end of the conversation. So, and, and I'm excited to get feedback from folks in the community and continue having dialogues around this. So um, this is the future in my mind. So there's still a lot of innovation to be done.
0: Well, with that in mind, we're going to end the podcast, but I guess start the conversation on, on product led. So thanks so much for joining us here today, Todd. It's been great.
1: Thank you, Blake. Great to be
0: here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Build. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to stay up to date with all the new episodes. Follow me, Blake Bartlett, on LinkedIn to join the conversation and let me know what you think about the show. Join me this season on Build as we look into the brilliant minds scaling Slack, Notion, Atlassian, and more to discover what it takes to build an awesome product and achieve hyper growth across every stage of maturity from seed IPO and beyond. Now, if you're ready, let's build this together. See you next time here on BUILD.